We are back. Welcome to episode 27 of Raising Financial Freedom. We're glad to be back and we're glad that you're back here listening. Today, we're going to talk about a, a little bit of financial literacy news coming out of Ohio State. And also our guest today is Dr. Alan Sieben from AffordableCollegePrep.com. What you're going to learn is some college prepping tips for your children. That will go a long way. So let's talk news. In Ohio State, a young man by the name of Edward Akinyemi. This young man is making waves in financial literacy and is looking for a piece of legislation requiring high school students to take a half credit course in financial literacy. Now, if he can get this bill passed, this would be a good push for financial literacy to become a standard within the education system. Now, the bill is called the Ohio Senate Bill 1 or SB 1 and has already passed the state senators and is now looking to move to the Ohio House for consideration. I'm going to play you a little clip of Edward Akinyemi speaking in front of the Senate. This bill is about aligning what students learn in school with with the skills that they actually need as adults to survive and thrive in the real world. Because you see, senators, the purpose of education is to prepare students for adult life, which means that courses like financial literacy should be the most highly prioritized ones in our schools. This bill is also about using education to solve society's most difficult problems before they happen, rather than waiting for them to become a reality. We need to stop waiting for problems to happen in adulthood when we have the tools to solve them right now. We can't wait for people's credit to become damaged, for them to be drowning in tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt, and for people in their 40s and 50s to have never heard of a 401k. We need to teach kids when they're young how to prevent this from happening in the first place, instead of waiting until they are older. Senate Bill 1 would help do this because prevention is always better than cure. So Ohio is definitely trying to do some big things when it comes to financial literacy. I'd like to give a salute to Edward Akinyemi for trying to get this bill off and but definitely pushing for further progress within financial literacy. Links to this news will definitely be in the show notes. Now on today's show, we have Dr. Alan Sademan, and he is here with us today to discuss what are good tips and ways to prepare for college. Now, Alan has been teaching since 98, and he is the executive director of AffordableCollegePrep.com. So he definitely knows what it takes to get started and get prepared for college. So let's get right into it and start the show in 10, 9, 8. Come on, Dad, stop playing around and play the music. Sheesh, tough crowd. Have you ever wondered why some people seem to have it all financially? Do well-off parents simply hand their children money? Or is there more to this wealth thing? Welcome to Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. We are here to talk about everything you never knew to teach your children when it comes to starting their financial future. The principles behind wealth and methods that are out there to teach your child about personal financial freedom. There is no real trick to earning other than learning. We are here to discuss, teach, and grow with you. Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. With your host and concerned parent, Eric Yard. Let us get right into today's show. Welcome, everybody, to another 
show of raising financial freedom, I would like to welcome Alan Seedman. Alan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eric. Thank you for having me on. All right, good. You're here on the show, and we want to talk about college prepping. So, for starters, do you think college is for everyone? And when do you think that decision should be made by the child and parent? I think, I wouldn't say college is for everyone, but I would say it's for most people. And I think that college planning really has to start um, as soon as high school, the first year of high school. First year of high school, oh, that pretty much that early, huh? That, that early. And there's, there's homework that really should be done. What are some of the obvious ways to prepare for college that is commonly overlooked? Students need to have a good record in high school. They have to uh, complete their classes, get decent grades, and take part in different organizations and activities. And if they can do any community service, uh, high school is a great time for that, too. Start to build up their resume or portfolio. So they look good for colleges. How does volunteering for community service helps? Well, colleges are looking to bring in students that are going to make them better. And the colleges still run in, in a supply and demand model. So if a student is really good and they can create demand for what they can bring to the college, they have an opportunity not just to get into more schools, but to um, negotiate a little bit with their tuition price and may end up paying less oh, because of it. How often do you think a student ends up in the wrong school at the wrong time? Oh, my. That's That shows up in the data. As I've heard in previous shows, only uh, six out of 10 students actually complete college within six years. So that's 60%. So what you're saying is 40% or four out of every 10 college students has a mess up somewhere. It's the wrong school or they're in school and they're not doing what they need to do to complete in a timely manner. And, you know, that's just money that you're wasting. You're paying extra tuition. And if you're not even graduating, then you're going to have student loans without a degree to show for it. Uh, that, that is definitely the wrong route you want to take. When should a parent convey the seriousness of college to their children? It's a tricky question because many students today will be first generation students, meaning their parents did not attend college or university. And they are the first to do that. So in many ways, it's up to the student to really take the initiative and do a lot of the planning because the parent might say, I think school is okay for you. We didn't go through it. And additionally, with first generation students, uh, parents won't really be there to offer the support that the student needs when they stumble. Yeah. But what I wanted to really know is that how would the child realize to say, hey, the amount of money being spent here is equivalent to a home or two homes? How can a parent really just get that to them? Okay, uh, this is really real money we're playing here with, not fake, not like high school anymore. Again, uh, the results are in the data. Students that have a college degree make more than a million dollars in their lifetime than students that don't have a college degree. So I think the old adage, show me the money, really comes true for obtaining a college degree. So you're the founder and director of affordableCollegePrep.com. Correct. What are some of the main goals the website is trying to accomplish? We just want to help students and their families make smart decisions for college. We offer free resources, free help any way we can, and uh, just want to make sure that 
our students aren't overpaying, parents aren't overpaying, that smart decisions are being made. And it's very rewarding for us. It truly is. So what are some, some cases where you've helped a parent or a child, for an example? Finding the right school is the start. And I think it's important to know that not only do um, only 60% of college students complete within six years, that statistic is lower for certain minorities. Hispanic origin students graduated around 50%, African-American students in the 40%, first-generation students about 50%. So it's imperative that parents and students work together to find the right school. And I always like to have them start at a website called collegescorecard.ed.gov, where on that website is the data for universities in terms of their completion percent and their retention percent. So a parent would put in that school, they would see if the completion percent is higher than 60%, then they would know that school's doing a pretty good job of graduating their students. And retention is data that's collected for uh, first-year students to get to their second year. And that's important for universities because uh, universities feel if you make it to your second year, you're more likely to graduate. So the national average for retention is 81%. So here again, parents want to look at the school, and this data is public, and they could see the retention percent for their particular college or university. And if it's lower than 80%, that will raise a flag that say this might not be the best choice for my son or daughter. What is what should be some of the costs that is not associated with the main bill of college that they should take in hand? There are many. In college, you have tuition and then there's, there's room and food and you have textbook costs and you, you have supply costs. Also, travel costs are important because your son or daughter, parent, son or daughter is going to probably travel home periodically. And is that a big expense? Uh, and also a hidden expense there, Eric, is uh, whether or not the student has a car on campus. Uh, everyone can save a lot of money if the student does not have or need a car on campus. Now, having a car is definitely cool, and it's a hard thing to to, to not have. However, if, if you find a college campus that has a very good, robust transportation system, that can take the student to just about anywhere around the area, then that could make up for it. So I think that's an important consideration that parents sometimes overlook. Mm, yeah, so I, I think that's uh, that's not something that's well that's needed on college. I don't. I didn't have any friends who had a car. I don't think that's something that's well needed. A, a, another consideration too is working. Most students work while they go through college. I think it's over 80%. So what I always stress to parents and students is if when their son or daughter has to work, get a job on campus. You can go to the job help boards. You can research jobs before school starts. You can ask friends. You can ask faculty what the jobs are. It's important that students stay on campus and stay connected to the college. If students have to get in a car and drive or get in a bus and take two or three buses to a job in another part of town, that creates a challenge uh, for students because it removes them from university life. 
And it, it just it's get, makes it easier to miss classes. It makes it easier to mm-hmm. stay late at work and come back to your dorm very late and say, oh, I'm not going to go to my morning classes. And that's not a good thing. So I always like to tell people to try and find a job on campus. I think that must it must be hard just to juggle that type of schedule anyway of doing school and working at the same time. So having, adding travel time onto that must be even like worse than. And, and some students even work two or three jobs. So that's even a bigger challenge. And many students can now freelance and that way they can stay in their dormitory or wherever they're living for college and they could work there. So that makes it a little easier. Too. I don't know how that works. Two, three jobs. <laughs> <laughs> One is hard enough. <laughs> but um, what is the best way a student could monitor how much they are spending during their in college? Oh, that is a wonderful question. And the bottom line is students just don't. Even myself, when I was in university, even graduate school, you're just going and you're signing loans and you're not really thinking of things. And you're always saying to yourself, eventually I'll work it out. But then you graduate and you finish and you start getting the bills and it's it's horrible. You realize you're going to be paying two, three, four, five hundred dollars a month for 10 or 20 years. And that's a lot. So if students and their parents can get a hold of the financial picture early on, that would be very helpful. Understand what the costs of college are. Understand how much money is being borrowed to go to college and understand how much the weekly payments are going to be when college is completed. And there are many sites on the web that can do that for you. You say, I borrowed $30,000 to go to college. My interest was 5%. I'm going to take 10 years to pay it off. And they will tell you how much your monthly payment is going to be. And that's, that could be scary. Yeah, that definitely could be scary. You, you mentioned about how, yeah, they go about it all nonchalant and worry about it. Hey, I'll take care of this later. That's the wrong mindset to go about it because that bill racks up and it racks up pretty high. And how soon do you have to pay back that bill? Shortly after you complete, when, you, uh, w- when you're finished with the university, you start making your monthly payments. Right. And, and like- some, some students defer and they go to graduate school. And then it's much easier to get loans for graduate school and you can borrow a lot more money. So then you're going to even incur more debt. And you might have parents listening to the show, Eric, that might even be thinking, maybe I want to go back to graduate school at some point. And I think that's a wonderful idea. And we work with graduate school students. Uh, Graduate school will open many doors. However, just like with your son and daughter, you want to be mindful of the cost of going back to graduate school. And you want to find a graduate school that's um, affordable. Let's talk about how we are not factoring the interest math into this total bill? Because I don't think parents and students are really acknowledge the interest that is put onto this bill. They don't. Just like in any situation, when you borrow, you have to pay back the principal plus the interest and the interest will accrue over time. And it it's going to be a higher bill if you defer paying back your loan. And because your interest will will keep accruing. And that's a problem. But as I said, there are help sites on the internet where you could type in your student loan amount, you could type in your interests and how many years you're going to pay it back. And it will tell you uh, what your monthly payments will be. That's a very valuable tool. So let's just say you're in school and you failed a couple of classes. Now you're at that point where you're meeting your threshold. What should you do? Okay. In terms of now you have added bill to tuition because you have to retake 
those classes. Yeah. What you can try and do is you could talk to your a financial advisor at the school or someone from the registrar's office at the school. You could find out how many credits you are allowed to take every term or semester. And it's possible that you may be able to take an extra class and still remain under the tuition threshold. So it's possible you just take a heavier load to go to continue your matriculation. Now, I want to take that back just a little bit, Eric. The student failed a couple of classes. And I think parents should know and students should know that you really don't have to fail. It's possible to go through a class, not really learn a lot, have a lot of trouble with the class, but still pass. I've been a professor for many years, over 25 years. Uh, students are always welcome to talk to the professor. As students and, 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 and say what's going on and even make a deal with the professor for some leniency, students can talk to their advisor and get some help on that too. So it, students can be proactive here before they just go ahead and fail the class. Students can go to office hours. You know, teachers love office hours when students come because it, it shows a lot. It shows that the student cares. I think what it is that freedom gets in the way of them learning. Yeah. Hey, I am on my own. This is what I should be doing. But yet, hey, I'm free to do whatever I want. Yeah, and, and what are your friends doing? It's probably not cool to go see your professor and go to your advisor. Just a very quick story, Eric. When I was an undergraduate in my freshman year, I was failing a class, a computer programming class. I was failing it miserably. I was beside myself and I called my father and I said, Dad, I'm failing this class. I don't know what to do. He said, Alan, go talk to your advisor. And I said, oh, no, go talk to your advisor. And he, he literally made me go talk to my advisor. And I went in and said, we talked and I was very upset. I'm failing this class. And my advisor said, I'm glad you came to see me. Go talk to you. Go talk to the professor. Have you talked to him? I don't know. I don't even talk to the professor. That's you know, a man on a mountaintop. No, he's a nice man. Go talk to him. And I went and talked to the professor and he said, listen, here's what I'll do. I'm glad you came to see me. I'll make a deal with you. You pass the final and I'll pass you for the class. So I went back. I studied furiously and I passed the final and I passed the class. And just that one incident really almost changed the whole trajectory of my career. Because now I did not fail a class in my freshman year. Now I've learned to talk to the professor when you have a problem or a challenge. And away I went. That was one of the biggest turning points for me in my college. And I can't stress that enough for parents and students. See your professor. See your advisor. Yeah, definitely. And I think what it is, I don't I think the students might be afraid to come to the advisor and like, hey, I'm messing up. In a a good school, Eric, with a good advising program, the advisor will seek out the student. And that's something I tell parents and students to look for is go visit the school and ask questions about advising. What is the advising program at that school? Now, all schools will tell you they've got a very good advising program, but realistically, many of them don't. And if you find a school with a low retention rate, they probably don't. And what you want to look for is how does the advising work? Does the advisor seek out the students? Is it a separate advisor that's compensated separately? Or is it just a faculty member that's given an extra task? As some schools have advisors living right in the freshman dorms, and they're there to help. Students connect with their advisor. They can connect with their faculty. Uh, they will have success in college. Mm, sounds good. You've been, Alan, you've been helping students for 
and parents for years now. If a child wants to go to college, but is unsure of what they should major in, what should they do? Because they know they want the experience, but they are just unsure. They could start with an undeclared major. And then they could just take and, and with an undeclared major. Usually after one or two years, the, the school will ask you to declare a major. Or they could just find something generic. They could just take business administration. They don't need to take marketing or finance. And I think it's also important to know that uh, stay with your major. Even if you start your major and you decide you really don't like it, stay with it. Don't suddenly change your major because that's only going to add more years to your college bill. Uh, Stay with your major. And what if you don't work in your career in the major you studied, that's fine too. I was a hotel major. I never worked in a hotel. My wife was a German major. She worked for the U.S. government for many years and on. Oh, I see. Yeah, because I believe that's that is a major problem. I had that problem. I was unsure. I knew what I w- I wanted to be involved in college, but still was unsure about the major. Oh, just find something you like then too. If the student is creative, are uh, there courses and and majors or minors that can explore the creative side? Are they more analytical, like math, or do they like writing? So I think anything that the student's going to enjoy taking will be a help. But people shouldn't worry if at the end of the day, the student doesn't like his or her major and they don't think they want to get a job in that field. That's okay. It's actually quite normal. See, Can you explain in detail the ACE advising from your website? What we do is we work with parents and students and we help them every Every semester, every week, if they want, every other week, we keep in touch with them, see how they're doing while they're in college. Are they keeping up with their coursework? Are they doing okay? Do they have a job? Or or, are things going well for them? It's just the touch points with the students at various points of their college experience. I see. When did you realize that you had a passion for college prepping? I was, I've been in college education as a professional for 25 years as both a a faculty member and an administrator. And it just breaks my heart to see so many students make poor decisions. Even so many students make poor decisions while they're in school too and do dopey things and end up just piling more debt onto them care. And I think so much of the college advising market out there is for families that probably have enough income to afford advisors What we want to do is we just want to help just the everyday folks out there that uh, just have questions about the college experience and just need someone to help point them in the right direction. What are some of the problems you've seen that frustrated you the most? I think a lot of it is as a teacher, students uh, just do dopey things in the classroom and then they don't realize they can recover for it. They'll miss a lot of class or they'll, they'll sit in the back of class. There, there are things you can do as a student to really help your case. Uh, you know, come to as many classes as you can. Ask a question. Don't come to class in, in your bathrobe. You don't have to come all dressed up, but you want to come looking decent. Pretend you're taking notes. If you have a laptop on your desk, uh, try and put something cerebral on the laptop. Don't put it on Uber fares or ESPN. And, and, you in many ways, you know, demonstrate that you're interested and that'll work wonders. You know, if you have a textbook, bring it to class. 
and the teacher sees you carrying a textbook to class and they're like, oh, wow, that, that, that says a lot. <laughs> That's funny. Students actually come in bathrobes. <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait. And I'm in Florida. I'm in the, in the South. I've worked at universities down here in the South and the weather's often warm and sometimes Clothing choices can be a little questionable, I would say, or a little on the casual side. But I think as as a professional appearance as you could have in the class will, will, will certainly help. What are some of your favorite tips that you tell students or parents? <laughs> Laugh at the teacher's jokes. Find the right school. And as I said, really go on a college tour and be ready with some questions that you can ask. You want to ask about advising. I want to ask about mental health. It's a big issue on college campuses now, and it's not a stigma as it was generations ago. As students live stressful lives, they work, there's a lot of peer pressure in school, so there's anxiety, there's stress. Universities have put a lot of resources into expanding their mental health capabilities. And I think that's something that um, parents need to find out. What are the mental health resources for their son or daughter? How many visits can they have? Where is the facility? Is it discreet? So that's an important thing for parents to understand, too, before they send their son or daughter to college. Mm, that's a good point. Very good point. So the mother is about to kiss their son or daughter goodbye to college. And just before they get on campus and all go to their first class, they bump into you. What would you tell them? <laughs> they bump into me. Have a good time. College is a very emotional experience, uh, but but it can be a lot of fun. But but I, I think one important word would be find a smart friend. You know, find a friend that can help you. Don't find a friend that's going to make your situation any harder. You'll probably have some of those, but you also want to have a friend that will help you. I'll give you an example. Often in college, and often always, there are group projects that students have to do. And many times students are left to form their own group. Depends on the teacher. And often you see the students uh, work together that really aren't doing well in the class. And you're like, no. No, you should find find someone that is doing well in the class because they will help you. And that's important. Good point. Definitely. Good point, Alan. I want to thank you for coming on the show. And I want to know how can parents get in touch with you and what future projects you have going on? Oh, they can visit us at affordablecollegeprep.com. That is our website. And they could find an uh, email address for me there, or they can write me directly at Alan, A-L-A-N, at affordablecollegeprep.com. And if they just write podcast in the title, I'll know that they've listened to this podcast and need our help. Or we encourage them to join our Facebook group. If they're on Facebook, uh, the group is Affordable College Prep, and we're constantly updating that with resources and information that can be helpful for students and parents. We put up a lot of scholarship information because we're always encouraging students to make a little extra effort and apply for scholarships. That's definite. That is definitely needed. One one other thing I'd like to slip in here if I can, Eric, and that's encourage son or daughters to buy the textbook. It's a huge expense 
and people don't want to do it, but it's really important to have. And you don't have to buy the textbook. Don't go to the bookstore and buy it. That's very expensive. You can rent the textbook for pennies on the dollar. So for 20 or $30 now, you can rent a textbook as opposed to spending $200 to buy it. And that's a much better way to spend your money. It's a certainly a resourceful option. And as I said before, if, if you have the hard copy, uh, bring it to class. Let the professor know that you have it. That means a lot. Rent a textbook. Didn't know that's no. We didn't have that when I was going to. Yeah, there are many sites out there that that do yeah. it. Chegg is one. The Vital Source is another. It could be Google. Okay. All right, Alan. Once again, I want to thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. What I've taken out of our conversation with Alan is that my child is going to have to start thinking about college as soon as they get into high school. And they are going to definitely have to learn how to take college seriously. But I do know one thing is going to take work on the parent and then work for the child and then work as a team, both parent and child. So please, as always, if this is your first time listening, tell other parents follow, like, and just stay tuned to next episode. And until then, stay safe. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. Stay connected with us directly through RaisingFinancialFreedom.com. You can also join the discussion on social media, which you can also find links on our website. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through info at RaisingFinancialFreedom.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to please like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, be kind to yourself and each other. 